Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. How you guys doing? Man, great to see you this morning. Uh, I was out in the lobby, and someone came up to me, and they said, great music, great talks, but I come back for the donuts. So <laughs> apparently, we've got some pretty good donuts, and, uh, but we've also got heaven, so maybe we'll emphasize that a little more. You guys sound, sounded pretty excited about that, too. But today, we're, we're concluding our series over everything, and our text is Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. And this is a famous passage from the Bible known as the greatest commandment. Last week, we looked at the first two verses. But this week, we're going to focus on verse 31, where Jesus gives us the second revolutionary commandment. So the first and the greatest commandment was to love, help me out, guys, to love God, OK? And, and uh, if you didn't get notes, raise your hand. Our ushers will get those to you. You're going to want notes today. But before we look at the passage, I want to encourage you with something that has been encouraging me lately. Every week, we gather around scripture. And we are not gathering around a person or an opinion or a speaker with a microphone. We're gathering around God's word. And we are in the presence of God. And this is a community that believes in the ability for God's word to not only impact, but transform lives. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I was, I was taught to spend a daily devotion time with God. And we called it a devo- devotions. And uh, different people call it different things. But what this looked like for me was a time reading my Bible. And then I had a journal where I would you know, write down things that stood out to me and write down how I thought that I should apply that. But then I'd also write out prayers. And so I'd, I'd write down what I thought I was learning or hearing from God. But then I'd also write down my thoughts to God. And what I, what I found is that this was the most profound way I was spending my time. Because I was learning things, and, and it was teaching me, God was teaching me things through this time that was affecting every other area of my life. And so since I was young, um, I've made a lot of mistakes, so don't get the wrong impression here. But since I was young, every time I followed the wisdom of God, as I, as I heard his voice in prayer or saw in scripture, even when I was confused or didn't understand, it's always panned out to the best possible scenario. I've always been able to look back and go, God, I'm so glad that I trusted you. Because it's easy to agree to do something when you know the outcome or you know what's going to happen. But, but when you're not sure and you don't understand and you trust God anyways, you get the benefit of obedience. But you also get the benefit of his perfect timing. See, when we only obey God in our timing, sometimes we miss out on what he, what he wants to do sooner. God doesn't promise to explain everything, and he doesn't uh, tell us that we're going to necessarily agree with everything that he asks us to do. But the quicker we obey, the sooner we see the results of his leadership in our lives. See, when we say we're following Jesus, we mean that he's leading us. So I, I bet all of us in this room can probably think of some decisions we've made in the past or some things that we've done that we regret. 
Now, hear me, it's, it's not a good idea to live in our regrets. That's, that's not where I'm headed with this. Don't, it's not something that we should dwell on. But a wise person learns from their mistakes. And if you think about this, what would you do if you could go back to that mistake or something, whatever it was that popped into your mind, what would you do if you could go back and tell yourself to do something different? You'd have great advice for yourself, right? Like we would probably give ourselves such great advice if we could go back. The power of scripture is this, that we can live in the present the way we would live in the future. Isn't that amazing? When you learn from the creator, you have all wisdom available to you right now. And God wants to help us avoid unnecessary heartache, unnecessary pain, and unnecessary consequences. Our community is is such an amazing place because people's lives are being transformed. They're being changed through the power of God's word as we trust him. When we listen and obey, meaning not just hearing and, and listening and taking in, but actually being moved to action, being moved into obedience. And it's such an exciting thing when we start to live this way, when we go all in because we hit a spiritual growth spurt. Jesus talked about this with a really powerful metaphor. He said, it's like being reborn. You're reborn spiritually and your whole life takes on a new approach. I got a text earlier this week from a woman and I won't mention her name out of respect for her privacy, but she texted Marcy and I and she said that she was just so thankful for this community because she was able to come here and she was a Christian, but she was in a toxic relationship and she was stuck. And she was able to come here and feel welcomed and accepted and nothing changed right away. But just this last week, she made a decision to get out of that toxic relationship. And what she was so thankful for is that this was a place where she could come and not have it all together, not have everything figured out and not be guilted, not be pressured into making a decision or, or told that, that she's doing wrong but to actually get closer to God and see his spirit start to convict her and show her a better way to live. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? You guys, she's thanking you. It takes all of us to build a community where people can find and follow Jesus. And it's a community marked by grace and, and lived, lived by, I was gonna say lived by love. That doesn't make sense. Um, but la- last week we talked about loving God. And when you love God, things start to fall into place. But at first it can be a little scary because when you start loving God above everything else, it starts to change things. And sometimes we're not ready for certain things to change. But God can be trusted because he is love. He can be trusted with our full devotion because he always leads us in the way of love. He always leads us towards loving one another and and, and loving him. So we're gonna pray this morning before we get into our passage, we're gonna pray that God would open the eyes of our heart and allow us to see the way he's leading us, that he'd allow us to see maybe even some things that need to change, even if it's a little little scary or intimidating, but that we would feel at peace because he is love and he, and he wants what's best for us. So if you'll bow your heads, I wanna pray with you. And God, I pray that, that in this room that, that your love would be so felt, that your love will be felt and that we would be open to uh, whatever it is that you want to say to us. And if, if someone's here today and they don't know you or they're not following you, I just pray that, that they would be open to your reality, that they'd be open to your existence. And I pray that you would make yourself known. 
And for those of us who know you and are following you, I pray that you would give us next steps that we might grow in love and bring more of your love into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we left off on verse 29 and 30, and I want to give a quick recap because Jesus was being grilled by religious leaders. Okay, left and right, he's being asked questions, and people are trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to cause division amongst his followers, and they're trying to discredit him. And so it's with this scenario that a teacher of the law comes to him and asks a question, but this guy's sincere. He actually respects Jesus and sees that he's answering these questions really well. And so he says, hey, I've got a question. I want to know your thoughts on this. And so he asks Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And so for our understanding, when when we think about these commands, we're going to think about them as values, okay? Because we don't have religious commands that we follow. We don't analyze or obsess over laws the way they did. And so we're going to think of them as values because... I think that's the closest thing that we have. We all have a set of values that we live by. Maybe you're at a a company and your work has a set of values. They might be on a wall or they might be something that they talk about a lot. Uh, Churches have values. Different organizations have values and we all have values that are guiding our lives. And so this is how we're gonna think about this because they wanted to know what they're asking Jesus is what's the best way to live my life and honor God. What, is there, what are the most important values? What are the most important commands that, that if I follow them, I can know that I'm honoring God with my life? And so Jesus tells him, he says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Before Jesus even answers, he declares the supremacy of God that no one compares. Because if you don't believe that, nothing after that matters. Nothing he says. Um, It makes no sense to love God with everything you are and everything you have if he's not the greatest. What's the point? But if he is, if he is the greatest, if there are no other gods before him, if he is the creator, then he is worthy of, of our absolute allegiance. And this is why Jesus places loving God over everything. He deserves to be worshiped over everything. He deserves to be worshiped with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And so as we follow Jesus together for our entire lives, the rest of our lives into eternity, what we're learning is how to love God with more of our heart, with more of our mind, with more of our soul, and with more of our strength. And so then Jesus says something else. He adds something. He says the second command is this, and this is what we're gonna focus on today. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Who's ever heard the phrase, love God and love people? You've probably heard that phrase. It's a pretty common saying in churches. It's all about loving God and loving people. Some churches make that their mission. It's on their wall, their website, or social media. And it's a great phrase because in very few words, it captures the essence of what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Churches um, use this as a mantra, right? It's something that we repeat. And according to Jesus, it's the most important mantra. But here's the problem. 
Have you noticed that when your coworkers or non-religious friends talk about Christians, the headline usually isn't, they are so great. They're so awesome. They're the nicest people. They are so good at loving people. They don't, they don't say, you know, I don't believe the way they do or I don't think the way they think, but I just want to be around them. That's usually not the headline. The church has an image problem, especially here in the Bay Area. The odds are, if you work at a big company, say there's 100 employees, the odds are that there are only maybe three or four other people at your company out of 100 that are followers of Jesus, And so it takes bravery to even identify as a Christian, to even say that you're a follower of Jesus. And the reason this is, is because we are not known for what we're supposed to be known for. We're known for what we're against. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that we should be against, okay? Sometimes loving well means taking a stand. It means calling something that's evil, evil, or something that's wrong, wrong. It's not always black and white, but sometimes it is. One of the things the church is pretty universally known for is being against pornography. The church is anti-porn, at least most churches, I would would assume or hope. (laughs) But the biblical ethic for sexuality and porn don't go together. God has a vision for our sexuality that is more satisfying, more fulfilling, and more fruitful than we'll find anywhere else. Pornography doesn't fit in this vision, and it never has. And what's interesting is that pornography has existed for a really long time. Ever since we've had photos, pretty much, we've had pornography, right? And for a long time, it's been socially acceptable to an extent. But now psychology's analyzed the effects that watching porn has on your brain. I found a few bullet points on psychological counseling website, and This is what I found, okay? It says, when people view X-rated images, it caused a surge in the chemical dopamine. Repeated dopamine surges mean the brain becomes desensitized to it. More is needed for the same hit, meaning people are unexcited by ordinary sex. Regularly watching pornography also causes the brain to shrink. Um, If you walk away with one thing today, I hope it's don't shrink your brain, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Christians have been anti-porn before psychology figured out how it affects your brain. Yet according to Jesus, what we're supposed to be known for isn't being anti-anything. We're to be known by what we're for. We're to be known by loving God and loving people. And that sounds really simple. But if it was easy, don't you think we'd have a better reputation? Today, I want to talk to you about how to love people. Because loving God and loving people is the most important thing we do. If, if you got a program, when you came in on the inside of the program, we put something right there on the inside of the program. It says, our level of success as a community is measured by our ability to love one another. And that's how important this is for us. We aren't succeeding if we aren't loving well. So living out this second commandment proves our love for God. If we truly love God, we're going to love other people. And so when we love God, we start to care about the things that he cares about, and it builds his reputation. So how can we change the reputation of following Jesus in our world, our community, amongst our friends? Check this out. Mark had a friend named John, and he was also one of Jesus' disciples. And he wrote one of the four 
accounts of Jesus's life that we refer to as the Gospels, one of the four accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And in John's Gospel, in chapter 13, he says something similar to what Mark said about loving people, but he adds something. He quotes Jesus saying, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know that you're mine if you love one another. So when we love well, people recognize that we're with Jesus. John said, everyone will know, meaning we will be known by this quality. This is our brand's most significant distinction. I had a friend, uh, I went on a walk with him the other day, and he was telling me about this this soccer thing he went to in Arizona. And it was this, this thing where a bunch of guys went to play soccer, and they had these amazing soccer fields. They were, they were just pristine and beautiful. And this team from overseas came over, like a professional team that they were going to get to play with. So that was like part of the deal. But they're, they're playing all weekend. And then he gets into a conversation with one of the guys from another country. And so they're talking on the sidelines for about 30 minutes. And then later that day, one of this guy's teammates came up to him and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. And he said, are you a pastor? And he said, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And sometimes I function as a pastor pastorally and I care about people. And he said, well, you were, you were talking to my, my teammate for a while and he doesn't open up to anyone. And I'm an atheist, but I thought you might be a pastor. <laughs> By this, they will know that you were my disciples. This whole loving people thing isn't just a good thing to do. It's the thing we do. It's what we're known for. It's the way other people will know that you're a follower of Jesus. The love, the way Jesus loves describes loving people in the Bible, it's really interesting because it bypasses all of the fluff. There's, there's no empty rituals. There's no games. There's no politics. The way Jesus describes it, it just cuts straight to the heart. He says, love people the way you love yourself. So how do we do this well? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, focus on the good. Focus on the good. Uh, Turn to the person next to you and say, just love yourself. Just love yourself. You guys are having fun with that one. Unfortunately, a lot of us struggle to love ourselves well. If, If we all gave the same level of love that we have for ourselves to other people, we wouldn't have enough. There wouldn't be enough to go around enough of this love that God wants to use to change the world. See, loving ourselves starts with recognizing just how much God loves us, that we were created in his image, that we're valuable, and that God doesn't create junk. Most of us think way too negatively about ourselves. If we analyzed our our thoughts and our self-talk, it wouldn't come anywhere near how God views us. So if we don't see the good in ourselves, how are we gonna see the good in others? Jesus said to love others the way you love yourself. Jesus said to love people, we've got to to love people well, we've got to love ourselves because that's the kind of love that we're called to give. And it starts from within. Do we see the good in ourselves and do we see the good in the people around us? The most grumpy and critical people that I know, they usually are the most critical of themselves. They don't see the good in themselves. And it's so sad because it ends up bringing everyone down around them to this, to this, to this kind of negative space. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't 
think I was a very good leader because I wasn't. And I still have so much to learn, but it's something I've always wanted to grow in because I've seen the impact that leading well benefits everyone else and impacts people around us. But I didn't, I didn't think of myself as having very much to offer or being very good. And the reality is there was some good. There was some good in there. But what happened is I became more critical of other people leading. And it didn't take long for me to figure out that I wasn't going to make very many friends that way. Great leaders don't become great leaders without having other great leaders in their lives, without having mentors and friends and people to help them. See, we've got to be able to see the good in other people that we want to rub off on the areas that we're weak. If you want to build friendships with people that you can learn from and grow with, like me, um, maybe you don't see the good in yourself all the time and it's keeping you from seeing the good in others, but we've got to shift our focus from being so hard on ourselves and then so hard on others. If we're going to love well, we've got to start focusing on the good. So let's ask ourselves this question. How easy is it for me to focus on the good? Is, is, is my first point of feedback or my first thought, are they good thoughts? Am I recognizing what's happening that's good? When we've always got something critical to say about someone else, we might have an issue with how we see ourselves. And the truth is we all have room to grow and what we're seeing may be accurate, but if we wanna be great at loving people, we've gotta focus on the good. And so the good in you and the good in others, that's what we want to see. Number one, focus on the good. And number two, have a big heart. Have a big heart. The, the moment that we start loving ourselves well, the very next challenge is to love others just as much, to have a big and generous heart towards people. And so we want to start by loving ourselves, but then we're going to take that love and we're just going to start giving it away. We're just going to have a big heart towards others. God knows our propensity to become self-absorbed. And I, and I think that's why he gave us this commandment that is so multifaceted, it challenges all of us in different ways. Maybe your challenge is to think more true thoughts about who you are, to see yourself the way God does. What's interesting about being self-absorbed is it can come in various different forms. For example, some of us are more confident than others. Maybe you're the kind of person that can walk into a room and know what you want, know what you're there to do, and not really care too much about what other people think. Now, chances are most of us associate this kind of confidence with someone that might be a little self-absorbed, when in reality, they may be just as concerned with the needs of others as themselves. Think about this. Jesus was full of confidence. Jesus knew his purpose from the moment he was born, and he knew exactly what he came to do. In every situation, he knew why he was there. So what I think that more of us tend to struggle with, what a lot of us struggle with, is thinking well of ourselves, of being confident about the things that God's called us to do. And what's ironic about low confidence is it's actually just as much of a barrier to loving people as, as, as being you know, arrogant or overconfident. Because what happens is, is when we lack confidence, the more, the more we lack confidence, the more we focus on ourselves. And then we can't see past ourselves to the people God wants us to love. The confidence that we need to love others comes when we connect to the right motivation. God doesn't give us incredible gifts to use just for ourselves. 
doesn't give us resources just for ourselves. They're for others. And so that's why they come with such a great responsibility. I think that Lady Gaga, John Legend, and Adele would be incredible worship leaders. Wouldn't you love to hear them sing some of these songs that we sing? In fact, let me just highlight for a moment the people that we have on this stage that are so talented, that are choosing to use their gift in such a way that we're able to enter into the presence of God and feel his love. Isn't that amazing? And so I'm not saying, so I'm not saying that using your gift in any other way is, is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that as far as I know, they don't know Jesus. And so they're using their gifts in different ways. But can you imagine how blessed the church would be if they did? <laughs> you know what I'm so encouraged by is that, that we live in a time we live in an age where the church values this kind of creativity. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't play a guitar in a church. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? And so we live in this time where at Brave Kids and Brave Youth, we can have students growing up that are, that are talented and their gift is gonna be valued and they don't need to leave the church to see that it can have a significant impact on others because the most significant way that we use our gifts is when we show people how loved they are. And it is so fulfilling. You guys are crazy talented. And I know you are, okay? I was at Orange Fest last night, and it was just such a fun community event. And I ran into uh, someone who told me that they had just met someone that found out about the event from Facebook. And they were from Alameda. They came over from Alameda. And then I ran into uh, Harold, who helps us with our social media. So he works at Facebook. And guess what his job is? is to help people use Facebook ads to get more exposure. And so he runs our Facebook ads. And he's doing it really well because someone came from Alameda. And I just thought that was so cool that he's got this gift and he's choosing to use it in such a way, he's leveraging his ability to love people. Like Jesus, when you start to leverage your strengths for the good of those around you, man, that's exciting. And so I just wanna highlight something that we do, you know, we talk every single week, we talk about fast track. And yes, yeah, step one is an on-ramp to the church. It's, it's how to join our community, what we believe and, and all of that. But step two, the very next step is called finding your fit. We believe in this so much. You might be sitting there and you don't really know what your strengths are. You don't know how God could use you, but we wanna help you. That's why we offer a personality profile, spiritual gifts. We wanna help you discover more about yourself and the incredible ways God wants to use you to serve others. And so that's my hard sell because if you haven't taken the time and you don't believe in the investment, uh, get up there, okay? Today is, is a combo. So you can not only learn about yourself, but you can jump straight into Team Brave. But I believe in that and I believe in you. And I believe that you are God's vehicle, the church. You are God's vehicle for loving the world. Number one, focus on the good. Number two, have a big heart. And number three, do the hard right thing. Do the hard right thing. Um, there's a bit of a misconception about love, that it's all happiness, joy, hearts and, around Valentine's, wedding vows, affirming words, puppies and babies, right? And it is those things, but it's so much more. We need a broader view of love. And I think that part of why we miss out on just how much further our love could go is because the concept of love is actually pretty simple. Simple things 
can give the illusion of being easy or not having much to them. But just because something's simple, that doesn't mean it's simplistic. There's a modern parable called the book of love, and it captures this so well. I want to share it with you. It says, there's an ancient legend that speaks of God's struggle to guide the destiny of humanity. It said that God had grown tired of the way that mortals constantly lose their way, creating disasters as they go. So he sent out his angelic messengers to build a great library that would house all the wisdom that he deemed valuable, instructing them to how to live and act in the world. And when the great task was complete, the colossal library stood proudly in one of the world's great cultural capitals, dominating the skyline. However, this huge building contained too many books for any individual to read. It was all but impossible to reach the majority of people. The library's sheer size was enough to put anyone off even entering it. So God instructed his couriers to compress the essential wisdom into a single encyclopedia book. Once completed, this single work was widely circulated, but the manuscript was so huge that one could hardly lift it, let alone read it or put what it said into practice. So yet again, God put his couriers to work crafting a booklet with all the essential information. But the people were lazy, and there were many who could not read. So the booklet was refined into a single word, and this word was sent out on the lips and life of a messenger. This word was love. Love is God's greatest ambition for all of us. There's a Jewish book called the Mishnah, and it was published in the second century, and it was an edited record of a complex body of, of knowledge known as the Oral Torah. This was a book that contained all of Jewish instruction for life, everything that, you're supposed, that you were supposed to do if you were Jewish. And it started as an oral tradition that was passed down from memorization. But after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they're like, we got to preserve this, okay? We got to write this down. And so they wrote it down. And in this book, there's a key passage. And it says that the world rests on three things, the Torah, sacrificial worship, and expressions of love. And so in their mind, this was like the greatest commandment. This was the most important thing. Like these three things, you follow these, this is your grid for life. And so when Jesus talks about loving God and loving people and places that at the highest level of importance and completely disregards these other three things or the, the first two things, it completely disregards them. That would have like rocked their world. They would have been like, how, how did you not even mention the Torah? Like, how did you not mention the sacrifices? We do these sacrifices all the time. These are a big deal. Jesus completely disregards them. And, and, and I just wonder, as he shares these commandments, as he shares these two values, that we're gonna love God and we're gonna love people, I just wonder if it flashed before his mind, the journey to the cross that he was about to begin, where he was headed, how he was going to live this out for the people he was talking to. This was the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. Jesus was getting ready to be brutally tortured, nailed to a cross. The time was drawing near. And remember, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. He had emotion. He felt the way you and I did. He experienced pain. And so in an intensely human moment, 
right before Jesus is beginning the final stages of his journey to the cross. It's the night before, and something really interesting happens. In Matthew's gospel, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In Luke's gospel, it says that he was filled with so much anguish that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how stressed Jesus was. Have you ever sweat drops of blood? And you thought you were stressed. The medical term for this is hematidrosis. It's rare, but it can really happen. It's when sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels. And the vessels can constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture where the blood then infuses into the sweat glands. And this is caused by extreme anguish. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is asking God, he's saying, is there any other way? Does it have to be this hard? Yet not as I will, as you will. In Jesus's humanity, he's feeling the weight of what he's about to do. He's about to be brutally tortured beyond recognition, die in the most excruciatingly painful way possible, and take on all the sin of history. Go to the darkest place imaginable, and take on all of it. Jesus knows what it's like to be in a really tough situation and do the hard right thing. How many of you are facing something difficult where you've got to do something hard, but you know it's right? Maybe you're wrestling with it. Love can be stressful. It can be messy. It can be difficult. It can be full of anguish. Jesus was up all night in a garden praying, and he went straight to God with all of his sorrow and he said, God, is there any other way? And there wasn't. Jesus did the hard right thing because he loved us so much, he was willing to do whatever it took. Is there a hard right thing that you need to do? I, a few months back, I was having a conversation with a friend, and um, some things happened, and I felt disrespected. And I knew that if I, if I didn't talk to him, what I'd end up doing is kind of avoiding him or spending less time together. Next thing you know, I'm ghosting him. I'm not responding to his texts or his calls. And if I haven't responded to any of you, I'm not ghosting you. I love all of you. Okay. But I just knew what would happen, where things would go. And so I was like, okay, we got, we, we've got to talk. And so I asked him if we could talk and I didn't tell him what was it, what it was about. So, I, you know, he's feeling a little nervous. I'm feeling a lot of emotion and I knew it was going to be a little awkward or difficult. And so I was like, well, let's, let's meet at this restaurant. And I thought, public place, you know, what can, what can happen? And so we're sitting there, and, and, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't lead off super well, okay? It was a little messy. You guys been there? It was a little messy, but, you know, we're going. And then next thing you know, we're, like, going back and forth. It's like, well, I thought this. Well, I thought that. And you said this. And then you said that. And this whole thing, right? But then there was a moment where there was a breakthrough, because what we both realized is that we cared about each other and that we loved each other and that love was stronger than those things. And what God did through that difficult conversation is he made us both more loving. When you love someone and you're hurt or you're offended 
and maybe they've done something unloving or maybe you've misunderstood. Either way, when, when, when you do the hard right thing and, and you're brave enough to have the difficult conversation, but you trust God with the outcome, you will be amazed at what he does. See, what we're really asking ourselves when we hit a difficult situation like that and, and we're tempted to just avoid it or forget about it, what we're really asking ourselves is, do I love that person? Do I care about them enough? Do I care about our relationship enough to have that conversation? Maybe there's a hard conversation that you need to have. Or maybe there's something really difficult that God's leading you to do. Maybe it's something that you don't know if you can handle. You don't know if it might be so overwhelming that like Jesus, you're stressed and you're like feeling the weight of it at night, talking to God about it. I'm an overthinker, so sometimes I can fall into the trap of just thinking because something's hard that I'm supposed to do it. And sometimes things are just hard. But other times, when you're focusing on the good and you're full of love and you've got a big heart and God's leading you to do something, you've got to ask yourself the question. In this situation, what does love require of me? What does love demand that I do? Am I gonna grow in love? Am I gonna be more loving? So I'm gonna invite our band to come and we're gonna, we're gonna close in a time of worship. But before we go straight into singing and b- before we, re- we respond in that way, I wanna invite you to take a moment. Just between you and God, they're just gonna, we're gonna do something a little different. They're just gonna play instrumental for a while. And we're gonna take a moment to ask ourselves that question to say, God, is there something hard and difficult that you're asking me to do? Maybe it's a, a conversation with someone you care about. Maybe, maybe you said something and you, you feel a conviction about it or maybe the relationship's drifted and, and, you're, and it's come into mind and you're looking back at that point where, where you decided, I'm just gonna pass. But God's like, hey, I want you to do this for love. And so let's just take this moment. I wanna pray for you if you'll bow your heads. I wanna pray for you that God would reveal that to you. God, I pray for every person in this room there's anything that's blocking them from loving people or loving you, I pray that you would just bring it to our minds, bring it up, and give us the bravery to do something about it. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.